couple of Christmases ago, I just happened to have a great idea for Christmas. And I realized this idea will work for the three women, excepting my mother, the three women I love most in life. As we move towards Christmas, Joyce said to me, I wonder what we should get Shannon and uh, Jennifer, our two daughters-in-law, this year for Christmas. And I said, don't worry about it, it's taken care of. Well, of course, her curiosity went up. And she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, not going to talk about it, don't worry about it, it's taken care of. Well, are you sure? And, you know, she kept pushing me, and I said, don't worry about it, it's taken care of. And uh, I happened to come across a lady who knew somebody that made some jewelry, and it was a price I could afford, and I thought, that is perfect. So I ordered the stuff, I got it, and I was very excited about Christmas. I wrapped it up, and uh, sure enough, on Christmas Day, we were all gathered around, grandkids, kids, daughters-in-law, Joyce and me, and uh, as we went through a lot of the gifts, towards the end of the unwrapping part, our daughter Shannon, who is uh, very vivacious, outgoing, uh, she was the one who came across the gift and unwrapped it, and she starts screaming, and, oh, this is great, and I, you know, I is just perfect. And then she said to her, uh, to the other sister-in-law, Jennifer, and their best friend, she said, oh, look what I got. I'll bet you didn't get one. I'm the favorite daughter-in-law. And, you know, and so Jennifer says, oh, no, she starts going through and she gets this, you know, the similar gift. And then uh, Joyce got one. And uh, I was delighted. And every time they wear those gifts, I just feel good because it was a gift that just worked. You know, it was one of those times that came together. Now, I'll bet you have given some great gifts in life. And this morning, I want to talk to you about gift giving. And what is the greatest gift that you've ever given someone? Is it a certain amount of money, a new car, a house, uh, jewelry, a clothes? What is the greatest gift that you have ever given? Or you might be thinking, well, it's not that at all. It's uh, I teach children to read, or I teach music, or you impart some intangible gift, something not monetarily purchased. But this morning, I want you to think about what is the greatest gift that uh, you have ever given? Now, about giving and receiving, we don't have to uh, question. We all think about, what can I get? And we all have those thoughts in life, what can I get? But it was Jesus who said, it's more blessed to what? Give than receive. And I actually think most of us not only believe that, but we practice that. We enjoy giving. And I think people in generally enjoy giving, and particularly Christians it's not uncommon to say, for some of you to say, how can I help out? What can I do? You want to give. And so I think there is within most of us a real genuine desire to give. And this morning I want to talk to you about how do we give and how can we give the greatest gift possible. Now, the greatest gift ever given was given, the greatest gift of money ever given was given last June. Do you remember? I guess probably, I have no way to measure this, but I would venture it's the greatest financial gift ever given in the history of humanity. That's saying a lot, isn't it? The single largest gift ever given. Warren Buffett said, I'm giving away my fortune, $40 billion. And he, at that press conference, said, I'm giving $30 billion to Bill and Melinda Gates, the richest man in the world, to his foundation because I'm so impressed with how he's giving away his money. And so he has begun to do that. And so we don't need to debate about what's the largest monetary gift ever given. Warren Buffett gets the prize. If he was here today, we'd stand him up and clap and uh, honor him appropriately. But there's more to giving than just giving money, isn't there? 
And this morning, I want to talk to you about that. And I'd like you to watch this video with me, if you would. A lot of people I talk to get all freaked out when they hear the word evangelism. They think they have to master this massive amount of apologetic information. They think they have to have a different personality than God gave them. They think that uh, it's just some formidable challenge that they could never rise to. And so often I find that it's the, the short rather accessible little steps or walks or deeds that you do. It's not giving long speeches. It's mostly about friendship. It's not backing someone into a corner. It's just kind of pointing to Christ in ways that are natural for you. And I think if more people would do just the small thing that they can do, take a walk here, stretch out an arm here, say a word here, live your faith, every day in a humble and kind of genuine way, I think a lot of people would find that they would be uh, touching a lot more lives than they think. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Or listen as I pray. Pray. Lord, I pray for uh, you to move in our hearts, not this moment, not this day, not even this week, but throughout this month of March, because we really are uh, going into a teaching process that can not only revolutionize our lives, but our church and Pasadena and beyond. Help us, Lord. Prosper the work of our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church, said this at the end of that clip. If we would all do just the same thing that we can do, we would touch a lot more lives. And as I said a moment ago, I find most people want to help. And this morning I want to talk to you. Joyce has been promoting and talking about this series we're going to do in March called Just Walk Across the Room. And this is the first of four messages on that topic. And there are four or five Bible studies that are listed in your bulletin that you can connect with. And I'm hoping that at least 50 of, 50 of us will read the book, just walk across the room, go to a small group study, and really take this opportunity as we come into Easter, we're in the Lenten season, to, uh, in a new way, think of ourselves as God's instruments to help His kingdom come and God's kingdom co- uh, will be done on earth. So today I'm simply going to ask you to Give yourself to God to think in a fresh way about this as uh, we go forward. Now, Bill Hybels, as I mentioned, is the um, pastor of Willow Creek Church. That's the only church he's ever pastored. It's been over 30 years, and it's one of the more remarkable churches in the world. He tells a story, and I want to begin with his story today. He says he was in a town in the Deep South at a meeting, and they were seating people, and so he was seated at a table, and there were a variety of guests around. And as he looked around the table, he remembers thinking, wow, this is a very diverse group in age, old, young, all sorts of folks. Not only that, ethnically diverse. And as he looked across the table, 
Uh, they shared their names. He looked across the table. There was a, a very large African-American man. He said he looked like an NFL linebacker. And as they shared their names, he realized he's Muslim. So it sounded like a religiously diverse group as well. As they were sitting in the meeting, Bill says he looked across the room, and this guy was looking at him, and he said something to him like this. He didn't say it out loud. He just moved his lips, and he said, I love your books. And Bill looked at him, kind of squinted, and thought, you know, who's he talking to? So he turned around to see if some author was standing behind him. There wasn't, so he looked back uh, at the guy, and um, he said to him, you know, without, with moving his lips without sound, me. And the guy nodded and indicated, let's talk after the break. And so after the break came, uh, this guy came to Bill, and he told the story. And I want to read a couple paragraphs, Bill's words exactly. Uh, he came to me and said, yeah, you, let's talk later. And he had this huge grin on his face. But I still thought he had confused me with someone else, perhaps some famous, famous author. So after lunch, he pulled me to one side and said, I now understand that this is probably a little confusing for you because you think I'm Muslim. But let me tell you a story. I have been a Muslim all my adult life. Being an African-American Muslim in a southern city in the profession I'm in is not easy. It's always been difficult. As you might imagine, I have some struggles in social settings. He said this, continuing to quote, In the profession I'm in, we have a lot of cocktail parties and a lot of evening events, and the natural course is for me to be served a drink. I get some hors d'oeuvres. I try to make my business contacts in the room, and inevitably, I wind up alone at most parties until enough time has elapsed, and I feel that I can gracefully make an exit. And then I subtly leave. This whole dynamic is just something I have learned to live with. The Muslim man goes on to tell Bill that one night he was at such a party, and he was by himself. He had a drink in one hand, a plate of uh, food in the other, and he was standing alone, the usual deal. He said there were lots of people gathered in groups, and as he looked at one group, he noticed that there was a, a group of people talking. There was a guy there who kept looking over at him. And to his shock, he said, pretty soon this guy sort of excuses himself from the group, comes over, sticks out his hand and says, hey, my name is, and gave his name and said, what's your name? And he gave his name. That began a conversation. The guy talked to him, you know, about the business a bit, and that moved into sports and then into family. And then soon the guy, the conversation kind of came to the issue of faith. And our African-American friend told Bill this. He said, at that point in the conversation, I felt hesitant. He just assumed that there would be an unfavorable reaction when the guy learned he was Muslim. But he took the risk, and to his surprise, here's what the guy said. Well, I'm a Christ follower, but truth be told, I know almost nothing about Islam. Would you do me the courtesy of sometime, maybe over breakfast one day, giving me the cliff note version of your faith system, you know why you are committed to Islam? Hearing your story would be interesting to me. Well, the Muslim man said, I almost fainted at that point. And he was surprised that a follower of Christ would be so open and so grace-filled. But he took him up on the breakfast. And so they began to meet for breakfast, and the conversation flowed smoothly. The Christian felt free to ask questions about his new friend's faith. At some point after numerous meetings, many breakfasts, the Muslim man realized that the Christian man had listened carefully, had not judged him or argued with him. 
He had not even challenged his choices. Now, maybe you kind of see where this story is going. But listen to the last couple quotes I want to read from this Muslim African-American. I really didn't remember much about the Christian faith. I'd been a Christian at one point in my childhood. But the racism in my community had infiltrated into my family's church. Eventually, we left the faith altogether. It doesn't take a genius to know when you're not wanted. From there, it all happened so easily and respectfully and sensitively. And to make a long story short, many months later, after many breakfasts with my friend, I determined that Christianity was superior to my faith system, and I committed myself to Jesus Christ, and it has made an unbelievable change in my life. This is him speaking to Bill. I'm a part of a local church now, and that is where I came across the books that you've written, and I can't tell you the difference this whole thing has made in my life and in the lives of my family. Now, friends, I think the greatest gift a Christ follower can give another person is to introduce them or to play some role in that other person coming into a relationship with the living God who created them and loves them and can give them the gift of eternal life. That's the greatest gift you can give someone. Now, we could say that evangelism is simply watching for ways for the door to open so that you can give the greatest gift or you can begin to help someone meet Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you about that. And I want to talk, uh, you've got an outline in your bulletin somewhere. You can reach there and find that out. I want to talk to you about it with uh, three simple points. And the first one is this. Are you willing to enter the zone of the unknown? Are you willing to enter uh, the zone of the unknown? If I were to draw this circle here and call this circle... um, Your circle of comfort. All of us have circles of comfort. I'm comfortable right now. I'm with you. You're with me. We're comfortable. Are you comfortable? You comfortable in the back? Good. Um, We're comfortable. We're with one another. We know everybody. It's a good place to be. And you have actually a number of circles of comfort. Hopefully at work, that's one. Maybe hopefully your family is a circle of comfort or friends. You've got school. You've got different circles of comfort. And we all like to be in our comfort zone, right? What happened in the room, in the story I just told you? This man was in a room. What did he do? He was in his circle of comfort. Business workers there, cohorts there, folks he knew. What did he do? He left his circle of comfort, and he entered what we might call the zone of the unknown. That's the point. He entered the zone of the unknown. And as we talk about just taking a walk, it does require something. It does require us to move out of this circle of comfort, to go out of it, to go across, and to take a bit of a risk. And as he stuck out his hand to someone who would actually become his friend, he had no idea whether this person would become a friend or not, did he? And so he risked rejection. He risked the unknown in order to leave that Uh, in order to begin to follow Christ. Now, as we talk about uh, leaving our circle of comfort, have you ever been in the zone of the unknown? Oh, yeah. I hear it. Let's hear it again. Have you ever been in the zone of the unknown? Oh, yeah. How many of you have ever gone to a new school? 
Yeah, you've gone to a, to a new job. You've come to a new church. Uh, you go to a new residence. I mean, there are, we're always placing ourselves, actually, in unknown zones. Some of you have moved across the country to be in paradise here in Pasadena, uh, the zone of the end. So you've already done this in other contexts. And as we talk about just taking a walk this month and beginning this as a lifestyle, it does require this risk of leaving our comfort zone and going to this, what we're calling the zone of the unknown. Now, I've been deeply moved as, we've, as I read Bill Hybel's uh, book by the first couple of chapters as he just tells stories and thinking about the amazing difference that God makes in a person's life when a person meets God. And it was good for me. In fact, honest to God, I, I wept after both chapters just thinking about what a difference it makes when Christ comes into a life. And that life is changed. And to have some dimension of responsibility in that is wonderful. It's wonderful. And this year, what is our theme, by the way? Thank you, David. Let's say it together. Become a bridge of love. And you can honestly say, maybe rightfully, well, how do I do that? Well, I can't think of a better way to be equipped to do that than march. And this theme that we're talking about, just walk across the room. It can help you become a bridge of love. And so I'm excited about we're doing what we're doing for the next four weeks. And I'm going to challenge you, as I challenge myself, to become a walk-across-the-room person. Just take a walk! Now, you may be saying, um, and, and let me, before I go to the next point, I don't care how old you are, if you're 95, like Ed, are you 95 yet? That was years ago. Or if you're under 90, if you're five, all of us can take a walk. And so no matter what your age, no matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your native language, no matter how much money you have or don't have, all of us can just take a walk. And I want to challenge us to do that, to be willing to leave our comfort zone in a certain situation and to walk across the room or to take that walk. Now, there's always the big but, 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 Steve, but what? The next point is this. Listen for the Spirit's prompting. You wonder, how do I do that? When do I do that? What am I supposed to do? When am I supposed to walk? Am I just supposed to always walk? No. You're supposed to listen to the Holy Spirit. This isn't some formula or something to memorize that you're going to take out of here and say, now i got to do this. This is you engaged with the Holy Spirit every day as you get up and say, Lord, how are you going to use me today? And as you're in different situations, this gentleman who walked across the room to meet the man who was alone there was listening to God's voice, and he took a walk. And that's what I'm encouraging us to do. Now, as we talk about reaching out, let me tell you what I'm not talking about. Uh, There's a part of me that would like to be able to tell this story as true for myself. I'm just making this story up. But let's pretend I'm a famous evangelist or famous preacher. Somebody says, yeah, I'm going to really have to pretend. <laughs> and I'm flying back up from Atlanta where I've been in meetings all day. Come on, nod with me. Yeah, the pastor came back so he could preach this morning. And I'm telling you, you know, on the way back from Atlanta to L.A., it was turbulent air and everybody was, there were people crying. They were scared to death on the plane. So I stood up and I said, now, folks, uh, I serve the living God and uh, I've got to preach at First Baptist Pasadena on Sunday. And I know that God's going to take care of us. We're going to land safely in L.A., and um, I just shared the faith with them, and everybody on the plane accepted Christ. Isn't that great? That would be great, right? But if I told that kind of story, 
And even if you knew it to be true, what would you feel like? Wow, and it'll never happen to me. If that plane gets turbulent, I'm going to cinch up my seatbelt and put my head between my legs, and that's that. You know, that story, you can't relate to that story, and I couldn't either if somebody was telling it. So we're not talking about that kind of evangelism, okay? That's just not what we're talking about today. Nothing wrong with that, but we're not talking about that. Uh, I'd like for you to uh, read this scripture with me. What are we talking about? Matthew chapter 5. Uh, in fact, Glenn, why don't you read this? This is uh, your favorite part of the Bible. Can you see from here, Matthew? Oh, you probably can't see. No, no, no. Back up to Matthew 5. Let me give you the... I'll read it myself. The scripture's not coming up. Matthew 5, 13 and 14. Is it there? Let's all read it together. Okay. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, I want to leave that slide up there for a minute. First of all, who's the salt of the earth? You are. As a Christ follower, it's not the preacher. It's not somebody else. It's all of us. You are the salt of the earth. Now, salt is supposed to be what? Salty. It's to have flavor, savor. And you are to have flavor. You are to uh, have a saltiness, a potency to you. Where does your saltiness come from? Yourself or God? It comes from God. The Holy Spirit gives you your potency, your saltiness, your power. It comes from God. Now, secondly, salt in the salt shaker is what? It's really no good. It's just sitting there. You have to do what? You have to put it on the product, the food, the vegetables, the meat. You put it on the food. Now, Jesus said, you are the salt of the church, right? No, you're not going to be salt in here. You can't be salt in here. You're not salt somewhere else. It's all Christians. You're the salt of what? The earth. And so just like salt in the salt shaker doesn't do a whole lot of good until you put it where you want it, on the chips or whatever, so it is with you and I. You and I have to get out where there are actually people who are far from God, and that's where you get in close proximity to them, so you just might be able to take a walk across the room. Tuesday afternoon, I went over to the Pasadena Senior Center, and I'm on the board of directors. We had our board meeting. We welcomed the new director. We hung out there. Why do I do that? Well, if you were here about three years ago, Dr. Ross Chenot challenged me publicly, and he's challenged me privately on this many times. He said, Steve, get out of the church. Go out where there are people far from God. Now, I could spend all my time and exhaust myself right here. And so I have to listen to the Spirit's prompting to get away from you folks, no offense, but you really don't need me, and to get out into the world where I can be salt and light. And so many of us here, if you live at Atherton, for example, if you are on the staff of the church, if you serve at Fuller, if you serve at Pasadena Christian or Maranatha or at APU, many of us are surrounded by who? Christians. And we love it. And it's exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Be the salt of the earth. And so you have to design ways into your life where you will be in a situation around non-believers. That's why I like to hang out down the street here and meet Debbie and Shelley and Mike and over here and Mark that owns the coffee shop. and Get out among folks where you can be salt and light. By the way, if you are board director material, we need some board directors. So 
Talk to me and we may get you on the board. You can be salt and light at the Pasadena Senior Center. Some of you seniors ought to be over there hanging out. There's all sorts of stuff going on and you could be a real witness there. So Jesus said we are to be salt and light. And that places us in the context where we can be able to walk. Now, this is something we can all do. And I would like to read to an, go to another scripture here, Romans chapter 5, and let's read this uh, together. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Let me tell you what that scripture means to me. God showed us his, his love in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. God showed us his love. He sent his one and only son. When I was growing up as a child, I spent half my childhood here in L.A., and then my dad moved to serve a mission in uh, Missouri. I guess we could call ourselves missionaries to Missouri. I never thought about that. But we were living in the Ozarks, very rural area, and uh, we went to the local Southern Baptist Church. It was There were a few churches there, and that's where we went. We went Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I recall coming back one Sunday night, sitting in the back of the car. I was 8, 9, 10 years old, young boy. And the preacher had preached. And it wasn't our normal pastor. It was uh, what the Southern Baptist called a home missionary. And uh, I don't know who he was. I don't remember what he said. But I remember on the way home, my sophisticated L.A. parents were sort of having the preacher for that five-mile journey home. You know, it was just, he was terrible is what I got out of that. And he probably was. I mean, if I heard him today, I would probably concur. But in the back seat, I sat there and thought, man, I thought that was the best sermon I ever heard. I don't know if he told a great joke or what, but I, I liked it. And when we got home that night, it led to a spiritual conversation. And I recall just as a, a boy of roughly 10 years old, kneeling down by my bed that night and asking Christ into my heart and praying that Christ would come into my life. And I can remember that was back at a time when there was a lot of teaching about Christ coming back and the rapture and all this stuff. And I was afraid as a boy, my, I'd wake up some night, my parents would be gone with Jesus, and I wouldn't be, I'd still be at home. And that was a big fear. And that night I went to sleep saying, you know, I think I'm going to make it. If Jesus comes back tonight, I'll go with him. And that was peaceful. And just as a 10-year-old boy, that was the experience I had as I accepted Christ into my life as Lord and Savior. Christ demonstrates his love for us. Now, I want to push the question, well, how did Christ demonstrate his love for us? And in Philippians chapter 2, the scripture speaks to that. It talks about Jesus demonstrating his love. And let me read this to you. Have the same mind or attitude of Christ Jesus had. You and I are to have Jesus' mind or attitude. What was that? Here it is who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, Jesus, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. We could say, Philippians chapter 2, Jesus left the supreme circle of comfort, heaven, And he took a walk across the universe and landed on this measly little planet called Earth. Why? For you and me. Jesus took a walk and left the best place of comfort because of us. While he was here on Earth, there's an example of that, and it's found in John chapter 4. You know the story very well. Jesus and the disciples are traveling. They always walked. And they're walking up north. They come to Samaria, and they come to Jacob's well. 
And when they come to Jacob's well, the guys apparently were hungry or something, and they said, we're going to go into town, Jesus. Do you want to go? And Jesus said, no, I think I'll stay here. He got some alone time. And I like to picture Jesus sitting down in some shady spot, the well over there, he's on a rock or something like that. And as he sits there, it's very quiet, and he's enjoying that. And this lady comes in the middle of the afternoon, and she begins to get water. You know the story. And he watches. And what happened? The Holy Spirit prompted him to take a walk across that patch of dirt over to Jacob's well and to talk about water. Let's read the Scripture. Let me read the Scripture from John chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. Jesus said this. Jesus said to the woman, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian well springing up, gushing fountains of life. The woman's there drawing water. It's a natural conversation. Jesus begins to talk about water. And you know the story. She accepts Christ as the living water, runs back into town, tells everybody. They come out. And how long does Jesus stay in that area? Two days teaching, and they're wide-eyed and listening. And we have no idea how many people came to faith in Christ during that occasion. But it was many. Now, fast forward with me. Imagine this scene. Maybe 15, 20 years later in Samaria, at the town by Jacob's well, Somebody comes to faith in Christ or somehow the question comes up and they say, you know, there's a great Christian community here. How did it all start? When did it begin? And there's children there, their grandchildren, their parents, their grandparents, and perhaps grandma, the woman at the well, or somebody else says, well, I'll tell you how. One day this woman, and they tell the whole story. And it's a story of when Jesus got up from where he was seated in the shade, walked across that ground, and began to talk to the Samaritan woman. It's a great story. Because Jesus took a walk. And I want to encourage you, will you just walk? Will you just walk? Will you leave your zone of comfort? Will you listen to the Spirit's prompting? And as the Holy Spirit nudges you, then you will be willing to get up and to walk, to just walk. As we begin March together, what about it? Are you willing to give the greatest possible gift to someone? I believe that is the gift of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are you willing to be available to do it? Enter the zone of the unknown, listen for the Spirit's prompting, and just walk. Just walk. Friends, I know it's easy to stay in this comfort zone, but that's not why we're here. We're here to be salt and light in the world. And I encourage you this week to do so. In your worship folder, we've placed this postcard. Here's what I'm going to do with it. I hope you'll do the same. I'm going to write a note on this card, and it's going to begin, Dear Mom and Dad. And I'm going to share to them my thanks for their introducing me to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine a greater gift a parent could give to their child than the gift of eternal life through Jesus? I'm so privileged to be able to stand and share that story with you and to know Christ because my mom and dad, who are believers, cared enough to introduce me to Christ and to live as Christ's followers. And so I'm going to write a little thank you note today or tomorrow. I'm going to address it, stamp it, and send it to my folks just to say thanks. And I'm wondering, would you be willing, as you think about meeting Christ, who was that person that just took a walk for you? And would you be willing to fill this card out, address it, stamp it, 
and send them a little thank you for walking for you. I want to encourage you to do that today. And I want to encourage you, if you're not signed up for a small group, to do that right away and to be in prayer for this time. I believe that God can use you to help point the way to someone, and I hope that he does. Let's pray. Lord, I'm excited about uh, this emphasis this month on how we can particularly become bridges of love as we're out about in the spheres of our lives. Lord, stir among us. Give us a holy passion to reach out to others, to have big eyes and big ears, to see and hear what's going on around us, and then to see and hear your Spirit's prompting and to respond. I pray that you would help us in Christ's name. Amen.